the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Join Dr. King Banyan as he shows you economic charts, graphs, and other visual aids you can't see on the radio here on Business 1440. Oh, they took our jib! They took your jib! They took your jib! They took I love this. How have I never heard this before? <laughs> Need more Billy Paul, apparently. <laughs> What year is that song, please? Oh, this one's about 75 or 6, yeah, I want to say. It's such a perfect song for that period, <laughs> right? Deep yep. rec- 74, 75, very deep recession. Nixon's been removed from, you know, is resigned, was about to be resigned just, uh, just a few months prior to that. The uh, inflation rate uh, was running around 6, 7%. The unemployment rate ran ran up to about seven percent around that same time too. Um, everyone everyone was kind of like, "Boy, this economy really stinks." <laughs> got to let that dollar circulate, right? Yeah, let that <laughs> dollar circulate, right? And I mean, if Billy Paul was here, you know, forty some years, forty two years later, this is not <laughs> the song he'd write. <laughs> it, it, it's it, you know. I really think this is this is an economy that is doing much much better. Um, oh, we have that. You, you got to save that. Oh, it, we'll put that in heavy row, Joe. No doubt. Put that in the heavy row, right? <laughs> in the A bin, as we used to say. Yes, at the music yes, station. indeed, the A bin. Put that in the A bin. Uh, so that's back in the days when we actually had records, and you kept the records in bins. Um, for those of you that remember, I love the. I still miss those. Those days where it'd be an hour and a half before the show and you would just walk past row upon row of of albums and think about, oh, maybe I'd like to play this today. And then you stack them in your stack them in the way you wanted to play them. And then the program director would come in and say, ah, don't forget, you got to play three in the A bin this hour. Uh, those were the days. Anyway, 651-289-4477. And just a, a quick programming note. Um, uh, for you here today on, if you're listening to us here on Saturday this morning, you you are going to hear uh, Bison football, uh, the national championship game, in fact, uh, for D- D- uh, Division One uh, FCS uh, at at the bottom of this hour. Uh, if it's Sunday, just stay tuned. Uh, you'll get us. You'll get us, and we've recorded the we've recorded the second half of the show for you. And if you can't be with us uh, Sunday morning, if uh, from 10:30 to 11. Go to the podcast. We'll let you know on on Twitter at pound KBRS when it's up. Uh, should be there probably around noontime on Saturday. We kind of sort of think, 
and we invite you to listen to it then. Uh, anyway, it's been a great uh, – what I've been trying to tell you in the last hour on Job Saturday here, it's been a really – it's been a pretty good 2017. Construction spending rose 0.8%. Uh, that news came out this week. Uh, Single-family home sales rose a strong 1.9%. The Purchasing Managers Index is still well above 50 um, the manufacturing index is is running ahead of expectations. Factory orders up 1.3% in the month of November. Uh, if you go ahead and look at the data, uh, if you look at that data and then try to run that through some model to figure out what was fourth quarter GDP, fourth quarter obviously ended on Sunday of this past week, your answer would be that would 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 come down to something like this. Um, core capital goods from Merrill Lynch. I'm just going to read this, this these uh, little snippets posted by uh, Bill McBride at Cal- at Calculated Risk Blog. Um, Merrill Lynch is forecasting 2.3 percent for fourth quarter GDP because the trade deficit widened uh, and capital goods shipments and orders were were revised down for November. So they they've cut their number down two tenths of percent from two and a half to two point three. The Atlanta Fed's GDP now cast now forecast um, their model now says two point seven percent after taking into account the uh, somewhat lower employment figures payroll employment figures uh, that's down from a three point two percent read on January third um, and there won't be a whole lot that changes that number the rest of the way. So they're going to be slightly under three. Uh, the New York Fed's now casting report um, cut its forecast um, from 4% to 3.4% for the fourth quarter. Uh, excuse, excuse me, it's at 4% now for the fourth quarter of 2017, 3.4% for the first quarter of 2018. I'm a little on the high side for this piece as well. I I think I think it will be above three percent for the fourth quarter when all is said and done. There isn't enough in this retail sales employment being the reason for that decline in December. It's worth remembering that there isn't a lot of GDP produced by retail stores. For the most part, they're selling goods that have already been produced. There is something added to the value in the distribution chain there is something there's some value added in being able to to put it on a shelf and store it for you in inventory it's not a zero contribution of retail sales but it's not a whole lot and so i think that the on the balance i still believe that the gdp numbers will come in slightly above this particular slightly above three percent in line with um, with what we uh, with what we have from the BEA. It was BEA. Remember third quarter before revisions they said three percent. Uh, after revisions we're now at three point two percent. So we'll get the number for fourth quarter GDP at the end of this month. We'll have it for you here, of course, on the King Banyan Show on Business fourteen forty when it happens. Um, I'm looking for a number that's still in the threes for the fourth quarter at this time. Mm-hmm. My numbers get updated just like everyone else does. I don't 
am not model-based. I'm doing it largely just on my own judgment at this particular moment um, just because I don't have time to, to run the kinds of models that the two Federal Reserve banks do. But I, I think I'm pretty comfortable with the idea that the number will be closer, will be above 3% rather than below 3%. Again, six five one two eight nine four four seven seven. I mentioned at the end of the last hour a ninety-four page per tape that was presented at the ASSA meetings. I actually specialize in making sure my papers are never longer than twenty pages, and the reason I do that that is having been a, cons- a discussant on a paper uh, on papers for over my thirty-five years. I try to model the behavior I wish to see in others. I don't want to read long papers, so I'm going to give people long papers to read. If you've got 94 pages worth of things that we actually we actually should be reading, um, my suggestion is it's probably two papers, not one. You might want to you might want to do this again, and 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 also either. The American, the, the American Economic Association meetings, I think, are really quite important uh, because most of, the economic, uh, most of the economic policy people in D.C. took the train from Washington up to Philadelphia to go to the meetings. Uh, and Kevin Hassett, has been, the chair of the Council of Economic Advisors, has been making news this morning with his comments at the meetings. Um, Luckily, because the weather's so bad, we, uh, I had some, um, at least one, I think I had two faculty members from the economics department here going to those meetings. Um, their flights were getting canceled on uh, Thursday and Friday because of how bad the weather is there. Um, I want to talk about this piece as well. Uh, and and this will have to carry over into the next segment, but I want to start it. There was a piece in... Uh, the Globe and Mail uh, concerning a minimum wage increase uh, in the province of Ontario, Canada, that started on January 1st. Ontario uh, increased their minimum wage by $2.40. And so the news story, and so my thanks to uh, uh, David Henderson, who's Canadian himself, although he lives in, uh, he lives in Monterey, California, uh, but um, this concerns also um, something that, that I value greatly, a donut shop, namely Tim Hortons. Um, aren't, I'm just going to read the story. This is from, again, from the, uh, from the Toronto Globe and Mail, or just the Globe and Mail. They have a national edition now. Ontario Premier, so it's like their governor, Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne says the children of Tim Horton's co-founders are bullying their employees by reducing benefits after the province increased its hourly minimum wage to $14 on January 1st. Employees at two Tim Horton's locations in Coburg, Ontario, learned in a December letter that they would no longer be entitled to paid breaks and a number of other perks, and would need to cover at least half of the cost of their dental and health benefits after the minimum wage increased from 11.60 to 14 dollars at the start of 2018. 
The two locations are owned by Ron Joyce Jr. and his wife, Jerry, Jerry Horton Joyce, who are the respective son and daughter of Ron Joyce and Tim Horton, the co-founders of the iconic Canadian chain. On Thursday, Ms. Wynn said that she was upset to learn how the couple was responding to the rise in the minimum wage. Quote, asking minimum wage workers to sign a pledge acknowledging that their breaks will now go unpaid or agreeing to receive only eight hours pay for a nine-hour day is not decent and it's not fair. It's the act of a bully. Okay. I have a simple question uh, for Premier Wynn. Are, are, is Tim Hortons a monopoly? Are they the only people that sell um, fast food in Ontario? I mean, clearly... If I thought I was getting a raise because the minimum wage went up, and then my boss came to me and said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to cut benefits, and uh, you can't have a paid break anymore. I mean, one thing I'm going to do, I mean, I would think John would do the same thing, would be if I told him you can't leave the, you can't leave the, the studio and take breaks uh, during the day. You have to stay in your chair for all eight hours. He'd probably look for another radio station to work at. I'd look for another I'd look for another donut shop to work at. I mean, I just think that's really that's really quite interesting. But there's more to the story than that. And we'll have to give it to you after this break. You're listening to the King Banyan Show on Business 1440. The scientific term for this massive social phenomenon is hoser mania. King Banyan Show, Business 1440. Good to be with you here today. Just a, just one more quick reminder um, coming up after after the next break. Uh, Bison football, North Dakota State in the national championship game. And you can listen to it live right here on Business 1440. If you want to hear the rest of the show, uh, you can come back tomorrow around the same time, and and we'll we'll play it for you. You can find us on the podcast. Just go to TwinCitiesBusinessRadio.com and click on podcast, and you'll find it there probably within a couple hours if you want to hear the last half hour of today's show today. Um, good luck, Bison. Um, we, we're, we're rooting for you today. Um, who I'm not rooting for is this is this premier, uh, Kathleen Wynne. Um, she's the premier or governor of the province of Ontario. Her province created uh, an increase in minimum wage to which 
two uh, owners. They are the son and daughter of the creators of the of the donut chain, uh, Tim Hortons. Um, uh, this is uh, they said, "Hey, look, we're going to have to do something to make this work for us, and so we're going to have to reduce benefits." Um, or we're gonna have to, you know, we're gonna have to make make it that your your break times are unpaid. Um, you might have to pay for some of your more of your dental premiums, uh, and so on. And I, I find this interesting. I can't do better than what uh, David Henderson, retired uh, professor from the uh, from the uh, Naval Institute, uh, the postgraduate Naval Institute in uh, Monterey, California. Uh, wrote on this. I've tweeted this to you at pound KBRS. Um, the and, and so you would think when she when this happened, okay, he writes you, you know, did she react by saying, "Oops, I blew it. I should have realized that employers would adjust to make it worthwhile to keep hiring their lower wage and lower productivity workers." No, she didn't do that. Was it quote? I should have also realized. That employers and employees are better than me at coming up with the optimal mix of money, wages, and other benefits? No. Right? Rather, she says, hey, this is from the news story in the Globe and Mail. Premier Kathleen Wynne said, if Joyce Jr. wants to challenge the Ontario government policy, he should come directly to her and not take it out on his workers. And Henderson writes, but they didn't challenge the Ontario government policy. They announced how they were going to comply with it. They don't even get the basic story right. All right. Going to have another story during during the next segment of, uh, you know, no one's breaking the law. They're trying to comply with the law. They're trying to figure out how to do this. If you pass a, if you pass a minimum wage increase, businesses have to somehow figure a way to adjust to it. They can either raise the price of the donuts. They can lower the the cash plus benefits received by the workers. They can buy less and and pay less for the raw materials that go into the donuts. Or they can take it out of their profits. Clearly, Premier Wynne wants it all to come out of that last piece. But it's the nature of how markets work. When you change something on one side, what happens on the other side is beyond your control. If you decide to go ahead and say you must pay higher wages, there are lots of other ways in which they can respond. Okay. And what is Miss What is Miss Wynn saying that would have happened if they had come directly to her? Is she say this is this is Henderson again? Is she saying she would have reconsidered the policy? Probably not, she says. And I read again from the from the story. When I read the reports about Ron Joyce Jr., who is a man whose family founded Tim Hortons, the chain was sold for billions of dollars. And when I read how he was treating his employees, it just felt to me that this was a pretty clear act of bullying. It's absolutely, it's it's stunning. Let me. Um, you know, he, she, she says, if Mr. Joyce wants to pick a fight, I urge him to pick it with me and not those working the pickup window and service counter of his stores. 
Tim Hortons is an important part of the daily life of many Canadian families. Paying our workers a decent living wage is also important. I hope Mr. Joyce will choose to reverse his approach. They did not respond to, okay, Mr. Joyce and Ms. Horton Joyce did not respond to a request for comment from the Globe and Mail on Thursday. A source close to the family said they are currently on vacation at their home in Florida. Associated going on, it is the goal of the, of, I got to figure out what the name of this organization. Uh, uh, this is goal of the, guess what? You know what the name of the franchising association of franchisees, you know what the name is of the Canadian one? The Great White North Franchise, Franchisee Association. The Great White North Franchisee Association. I'm sorry, that just tickles me. That just tickles me. The board of the board of directors of the Great White North Franchisee Association said moves by Ms. Wynn's government has put its members in a difficult situation. Quote, it is the goal of GWNFA and its members to mitigate job losses, if at all possible. And as a result, franchisees have been forced to take steps to protect their businesses in this new fiscal reality brought on by these substantial labor cost increases. Here's my question for, for Premier Wynn. Suppose instead of making, uh, making them take uh, unpaid breaks or paying for their dental, suppose, or, pay, or asking the workers to pay for part of their dental, suppose rather than that, they had simply said, you know what, we'll do better, and the next time you, you drive through a Tim Hortons, your donuts are served to you by a robot. And those workers, rather than getting eight dollar rather than getting an unpaid break, have no job at all. Remember, this is a this is a, a saying of the King Banyans show, but I stole it, I freely admit, I stole it from uh, Thomas Sowell. The true minimum wage is zero dollars. Right? Rather than pay some of her of their workers zero, Mr. Joyce and Mr. and Ms. Horton Joyce have decided to keep all those workers there but adjust in some other way so that they can afford a two dollar and forty cent Canadian increase in the minimum wage. The thanks they get for this is instead a nasty gram and bad publicity from the Canadian government. Who needs this? This is just this is just absurd. Anyway, we we've enjoyed speaking with you here. We're gonna go we're going the show continues on the podcast. We'll be back we'll be back uh, with you in a few moments there. But otherwise go bison and enjoy some good football here on the from the King Banyan show on Business fourteen forty. Welcome back, King Banging Show, Business 1440. 
Yeah, I'm going to be listening to that later on on the Spotify. Do you see Spotify is going to have, is filed for an initial public offering. You can now buy stock in Spotify. I think the King Banyan show has just a little bit to do with that, given all of the all of the bumper lists that we've posted on Spotify over the years. So you should uh, you should thank us, Spotify. Hope hope your IPO goes well. So I've been teasing this story uh, throughout the show today, and we better get to it because um, I got I got interest in this this story from uh, that I saw initially on Ricochet.com on uh, on Friday uh, afternoon but I think it went up it probably went up a little bit earlier uh, than that as I poked around there's been popularity in um, many city governments uh, particularly in larger cities that typically have very um, uh, progressive city council members to try to help People make better food choices. Now, I speak. I speak from uh, knowledge here. I'm, I'm. I'm not the most physically fit guy. I. I do have type two diabetes, and you might think to yourself, "Well, then, why are you complaining about a sugar tax?" Well, I'm not complaining about it. I mean these these folks are voted into office, and they're pretty open about their desire to do such things, and. Yet they continue to be elected. So you'll forgive me if I can just engage in a slight bit of uh, schadenfreude as I uh, look at um, the results of of their handiwork. So this one comes from Seattle and, and was, po- as I mentioned, posted on Ricochet, where they have instituted a 1.75 cent per ounce tax. No, 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 not a tax, a fee. Excuse me, a fee, a recovery fee, right? Um, on all sweetened beverages sold in the city of Seattle, the move had public support when they passed it back in June. It passed the city council in Seattle seven to one, but the bill has come due now, and so there have been pictures of there have been pictures of this of uh, what's happening in at least one store. This is a Costco in the city of Seattle. And the Costco says, Costco sign reads, I'm just going to read two signs for you from the Costco in Seattle. One, Dr. Pepper, a 36-pack of 12-ounce cans. The ca- And what they put on there, they, and it says, cash sale only. Costco price... Nine ninety nine, and then right below it it reads, "City of Seattle sweetened beverage recovery fee, seven dollars and fifty six cents." For a total price, if you want to buy a thirty six pack of Dr Pepper, seventeen dollars and fifty five cents. That is a that in short, that is a seventy five percent increase in the price of your Dr. Pepper in the city of Seattle. You want to buy some Gatorade, right? If you don't buy the sugar-free stuff, here's what happens. Gatorade Frost Variety Pack, they come in 35, in, in packs of 35 
bottles, half-liter bottles, which is 16.9 ounces for you playing at home. The Costco price is $15.99, but take 35 times 16.9 times 1.75 cents per ounce, and you will get a $10.34 tax on your on your Gatorade for a total price of $26.33. Um, John Gabriel adds to this, where will all this new revenue go? Seattle officials expect a $15 million boost in the first year. So $2 million of it is to expand a city program that gives fruit and vegetable vouchers to low-income families. Of course, it turns out, as John points out, only $400,000 actually ends up in the vouchers. The other $1.6 million will be for administrative costs for the government. Now, since you're listening to an economist talk about this, we know one thing that will happen is that people will look for ways to evade the tax. How will they evade the tax? Well, when Philadelphia tried to do this, because this is, as I said, this is something that, you know, Seattle didn't invent this. Other, other cities have been trying this, and part of why I'm talking about this is uh, I, I live up here in St. Cloud. I don't have to worry about such things, but you folks down in, in Minneapolis and St. Paul, I, I'm, just, I'm just letting you know, here's what's likely to happen. Sales of carbonated beverages in Philadelphia, where they tried to impose a, a similar tax, or, no, I'm sorry, a recovery fee. Um, sales fell 55% inside the city, but the sales rose 38% in the towns around the city of Philadelphia. Um, very interestingly... Another thing that happened in this, as John points out, um, what about diet pop? Well, diet pop is not taxed. And somebody did a racial equity analysis of the sugar tax. Diet pop tends to be purchased more. I'm from New England, but where I'm from, we call that diet tonic, right? Or diet soda. Diet beverages tend to be more frequently consumed by by white people, and and the sugary, uh, full sugar drinks are typically uh, more often drunk by people of color. So they've, but that didn't happen. It turns out meal replacement drinks and the powdered mixes. And the sugary coffee drinks, that that awesome, you know, ice mocha cappuccino that's in the dairy case at your at your local supermarket, they don't get taxed. I wonder why. Have you thought about that? Why would they not tax that? Oh, wait a minute. What coffee company is based in Seattle? Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah, the the one with the goddess on the side of their cups. They have it. 
So what that means is, John points out, if you buy bottled lemonade, you're going to pay the tax. If you buy Kool-Aid and mix it with water at home, no tax. If you buy that that um, if you buy that venti brown sugar shortbread latte at at, at the Goddess Coffee, uh, the tax doesn't apply. Uh, but if you get a tall brown sugar shortbread frappuccino, it does. So sales are going to go from the people who the sales are going to go from the people who pay them more to the people who pay them less. So people are up in arms about this, right? And so here's the lovely part of here's the lovely part of this. So the news stories have been rolling out every television station local news program in Seattle has been has been showing these signs that are in the Costco, okay? And they, of course, turn around and go to City Hall and ask for comment. You're right, because it's like, why are you making people, and particularly people who drink beverages, who typically are not sugary beverages, are often drunk by people with lower incomes? Um, and, the, and according to the city of Seattle, their statement was... The taxes collected on the final distribution of sweetened beverages by a distributor. The tax is not collected by the retailer, nor is the tax burden intended to fall onto the consumer. That's a quote. I'm going to read that one more time. Because I can promise you, the next time I teach principles of economics, this, is, this quote is going to be in a question on a homework assignment to analyze this particular quote the taxes collected on the final distribution of sweetened beverages by a distributor the taxes not collected by the retailer nor is the tax burden intended to fall onto the consumer you know you can say that all you want but the point is taxes get shifted all the time right it's going to get shifted onto the consumer, and it will, to some extent, get shifted back onto the distributor. It will, in some sense, get shifted all the way back onto the producers of sugar. Because there's going to be some group out there that's going to decide, you know, I want to have, I want to have something sweet, but I don't want to pay that much for it. I guess I'll go ahead and have the diet variety. There's going to be some group out there that decides to do that. And to that extent, that's going to reduce the sales of sugar, and that's going to actually be helpful to them. But stand by. There's more to this story than just this. We'll be back with more about, about sugar in Seattle here on the King Banyan Show on Business 1440. Cold on my spine. Welcome back. King Banyan Show. This is 1440. Oh. Turn that back up. 
Yeah, you're going to tax their sugar. <laughs> I love this song. Thank you. We'll be, uh, been listening to it later on, on soon-to-be-public Spotify. King Banyan Show, Business 1440. Thank you for listening. And we've been talking about the uh, Seattle sugar tax. So what's been really interesting about this is, and this happens when you get one of these new taxes, it causes a large change in prices. The business, of course, wants you to know that it's not them that is doing this. They've just, they, so they've, ex, they've basically exposed the increase in the price of the, of the good. Now, the city, as I indicated before, the city has now released a statement. The taxes collected uh, on, on the final distribution of sweetened beverages by a distributor. The tax is not collected by the retailer, nor is the burden intended to fall onto the consumer. Intentions have nothing to do with it, of course, Seattle. The burden falls where it falls. And given Seattle is just one city in a vast universe, all of which consumes sugar, because sugar, it's wonderful, the, the impact on the price and therefore the burden that shifts back onto the onto the producer is likely to be relatively small. And since people who drink sugary things typically do this as a habit that they find difficult to shake, most of the price increase will pass on to them. However, there will be some argument about this, and I predict, I predict that what will happen is very soon there will be an ordinance installed by the Seattle City Council basically to say, Costco and the rest of you, you cannot expose the tax as in your pricing labels in your store in the city of Seattle. That will be misinformation. That will be a deceptive trade practice that we will prosecute under Seattle City Ordinance. Okay, that's my prediction. I would be shocked if that if someone doesn't introduce uh, a motion at the next city council meeting to do just this. And it's not entirely without merit because t- okay, this is my the, the economist in me wants to say, well, the actual economic burden of a sugar tax gets distributed across all places. It's not just going to be on the consumer. It's not just going to be on the distributor. It's not going to just be on, on the sugar maker, the people that uh, up in, up in western north in, in western Minnesota and North Dakota who, who create sh- uh, who grow sugar beets. It'll be up and down the system because that's what the price system does. That's exactly what prices are about, and there shouldn't be any issue. In my mind, at least, there shouldn't be any issue that most of the burden will shift onto the, onto the, um, onto the consumer because what we know is, what we know is when you're figuring out the distribution of the burden of the tax, that always falls, it always falls on the people that can least respond to the change in the price. That's likely in this case to be the consumer. And likely to be those who, who really want the sugary drinks and stay away from uh, the diet drinks. 
the reason I say they will try to to pass a law that to hide this is this is what happens in every other place. Let me tie this to another story that's just out in the past just out in the past week from the city of San Diego, California. This is from the San Diego Union Tribune um, on uh, on uh, Friday afternoon as well. In the city of San Diego, uh, the minimum wage has been has been lifted has been has been increased by um, I, I believe by two dollars uh, uh, an hour. Excuse me, from by one dollar an hour, uh, and then uh, from ten and a half and ten dollars fifty cents an hour to eleven fifty an hour. So that's about a little less than a ten percent increase in tech in uh, wages. Some restaurants in in the city of San Diego chose to add at the bottom of every bill a 4% surcharge that they call the minimum wage surcharge to say, you know what, the cost of my labor went up, and so I have to pass some of that on to the consumer. Not all 10% notice. Most of them are doing this as 4%. Um, so he's trying to let them know... Um, let them know what's happening. Uh, San Diego, and so here's the story. San Diego is cracking down on several restaurants the city officials say are adding surcharges in misleading and illegal ways to help cover increased labor costs from the minimum wage hike that took effect January 1st. Surcharges can be imposed legally, and some restaurants in the city have done so this week, but city attorney Mara Elliott said others are violating the law by not divulging the surcharge before customers order and stating incorrectly that the surcharge is government-mandated. Okay. Elliot said both strategies violate the false advertising provisions of California's Business and Professions Code, and she is sending letters demanding that these restaurants cease their illegal activities or she will take them to court. If a family goes out to dinner, said said Elliot, who said Elliot, they should be able to trust that the prices on the menu are the prices they will pay, especially when there is no legal basis for the imposition of an additional fee. Don't blame us. That's not us. If they decide to put a surcharge on your bill because we raised their labor costs 10 percent, that's their choice. They chose not to eat it. You watch this this sugar tax in Seattle, the same exact thing is about to happen. They are going to insist that that oh no, you can't say it's a man okay, what does let me I'm looking for the for a copy of the I gotta find the picture again. I've lost my picture. What does it say? Yes. Um Hang on, just a second. I got it. the The picture reads: uh, "City of Seattle, sweetened beverage recovery fee." They're not going to be allowed to call it a recovery fee, right? Because that would make it seem like they were forced to do it. If they follow the pattern of what happens in other places, that will go away. Cities and governments generally try to deny the economic reality that when you tax something at some level, 
that tax gets passed up and down the distribution chain from here to there without any regard for what the intentions were. I still have to go back and read this because I find this just utterly remarkable. The tax is not collected by the retailer, nor is the tax burden intended to fall onto the consumer. But understand what happened. The retailer, when, when they went to buy the 36-pack the of Dr. Pepper, paid the tax to the final distributor. Right? The tax is collected by a distributor. Who did the distributor collect the tax from? Collected the tax from the retailer. Was the retailer supposed to you know, absorb the tax? Of course not. That's silly. They're, they're saying they're passing it on to the consumer. It's just it's it's just ridiculous. I, I've got another one of these stories. We'll have to wait till next week. You're going to love that one too. We'll be back here next week with a, another episode of the King Banyan Show. John, thanks for your production today, and we'll see you next week here on the King Banyan Show. Business fourteen forty. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.